0: we Good. What's the name of the place where you get your groceries? Just letting you know we're
1: on live so if you
0: want to whatever mm-hmm. you want to say mm-hmm. you're going yeah. Okay. It's <laughs> no, um, um just bringing you guys know, no I can take this to Oh that's lovely. lovely. Yeah. Oh, I hadn't looked at. All right. Now for somebody okay. to ask me about
1: it. Okay. So, good to see everybody. It's back sweet. again. Today we're going to be talking about a fascinating concept, which will give us a whole new perspective on the story of Jacob and Esau, and give us a fascinating look in how we look. You will never see Esau again the way you do today after today's, today's class. So everybody knows that there's nothing in this world like the love of a mother to her parent, to her child, and something that mothers will do, nobody else will do. And they never get tired, they never get dreary. they always there for their children, regardless of what it takes and regardless of what it means. But seemingly, in this week's Torah reading, we read about a mother and her child who don't always see eye to eye. Not only is that seemingly seeing eye to eye, but seemingly a mother who um, goes behind her child's back and does something differently, where to one child and favors one child unto the other. You know, we spoke about before where Avram and Sarah and Sarah and the differences in how they treated Yishmael. But the difference was that over there, Yishmael was not Sarah's child. Over here in this week's Torah reading, we read about Rivka. And we actually started in last week's Torah reading where Rivka tells Jacob, Yaakov, to go get the blessings instead of her son Esau. Mm-hmm. Then he, she, like so to speak, takes Esau's clothing, which was trusted by her, giving it to Yaakov, so this way he should be able to deceive seemingly his father, so that he should be able to get the blessings which were intended for Esau. An interesting thing we have over here is that one of the things, the last place in the Torah where Rivka's name is mentioned, was in last week's Torah reading, at the end of the Torah reading, where Rivka comes along to her husband Yitzhak and says, you know, I don't want both of our children to get killed and fight each other and kill each other. So therefore, let me send Yitzhak, uh, Yaakov away. This way, Esau will calm down and not kill him. And the Torah terminology is that Yaakov goes to his, her brother Lavan, the brother of Rivka, the mother of, A, of Yaakov and Esau. Now why does it have to tell me that it's the mother of Yaakov and Esau? To teach us that she loved them both. Well, if she loved them both, why did she do this?
0: She loved them differently.
1: She loved them differently. So why then? Let's go back to last week's she, Her problem was that Esau was going to get the blessings and she believed that Yaakov should get the blessings. Why did a do what every Jewish wife did throughout the millennia, which was tell their husband what to do? And what happened over here? Tell Yitzchak, speak to him and say, listen here, I want through Yaakov to get the blessings. There's no reason why Esau should get the blessings and give it to Yaakov.
0: What would be the big deal? Well, maybe she thought he wouldn't do it. No, but, but it, let's let's go back together. further.
1: If you think he wouldn't do it,
0: what was the last week, a few
1: weeks ago, when it came to educating the children? If Yitzchak would have listened like his like his father Avram, when there was a debate between the husband and wife what they should do with the child, what did God say? Whatever Sarah says, listen to her. So Yitzchak for sure would have listened.
0: But, you but even more right so, down. we don't.
1: But we don't even see. But we don't even see the suggestion maybe it should be done let's take it even a step further and over here in order to understand this and all these different questions we are going to introduce an entire new idea of how we view Yaakov and Esav and how Hasidis, the mystical concepts of Torah and how the teachings of Kabbalah define what Yaakov was and what Esav was and all of a sudden gives us a whole new perspective to the differences of opinion between Yitzchak and Rivka, and not only were they not differences of opinion, we're going to come to see that they were all on the same page. And it was only a question of what avenue. But let's go a little bit further. So when we go a little bit further into last week's Torah reading, but before we continue to this week's Torah reading, where is the last time, so we talk about Rivka, well, Rivka tells us about her relationship with her son Esav, that seemingly she had a very good relationship, the very fact that Esav trusted her with her clo- with his clothing, with his special clothing. However, what does it tell us? That, as we mentioned, the last time it mentions, is it that Yaakov and Esav, the mother of Rivka. What happened? Where is Esav? Why is she not mentioned again? We heard a whole Torah reading about Yaakov going back, he's by love, she's not mentioned again. Not only that, what's it coming to tell us? And there are many different explanations of why, Rifka's Rivka's name, why it talks about the mother of Yaakov and Esau. Some explain, because one of the reasons why Rivka wanted that Yaakov should go away was because she was a mother of Yaakov and Esau, meaning she cared for both of her children. She didn't want both of her children to kill each other. And therefore she suggested that her son go away until Esau calms down. Others want to say that at the same time where if you look in the terminology that she told Yitzhak beforehand is I don't want both of them to die, which actually was a prophecy that she didn't intend because they both ended up being buried at the same day. But she didn't want to see them the happen again because she didn't want them to see them get hurt. But I if we go a little sorry.
0: I'm I'm really
1: yeah.
0: confused. I'm confused. <laughs> I don't know. Is anybody else confused? Well which one? Yeah. Which part? Well, the part where uh, why, were, why was she sending him away? So, why? what happened
1: was, let's go back a little bit. So, Rivka tells Yaakov to get the blessings. Asa right. comes and he finds out that she oh. got the blessings instead of him. So, therefore, he's furious at his brother. He wants to kill his brother. Oh, okay. Sends, away, Rifka sends her younger brother away, younger son away, right. so therefore the older brother shouldn't kill him. And this is the last time that the Torah mentions that she is the mother of Yaakov and Asa. And the question is, why does it have to taste she's the mother? We know she's the mother. And the answer that many commentaries give is because she cared for both of them. She didn't want both of them to get killed. Well, let's go a little bit further now. When we go a little bit further into our this week's Torah reading, we also find another episode. And another unique episode It tells us about somebody who passes away in this week's Torah reading after the Torah tells us about the reuniting of Yaakov and Esau, the story of Dina, and then we come to another story in this week's Torah reading. And in one verse it says that the Devora who was the nurse of Rivka, passed away. She passes away, and Yaakov buries her by a special tree, and they call the name of the place Alom Bachus. Alom B'chus, which means the tree of crime. Now, since when all of a sudden we talk about Devora, Who was she? We never heard of her before. We only knew about her mm-hmm. when Rivka left her parents home. But all of a sudden, we're mentioning her. What does this have to do? Why does it bring this in the middle of nowhere? And there's many different interpretations about it. So, one explanation is because since she was then, uh, after Yaakov met Asa, she passes away, and because she took care of Rivka, that was his kindness that he buried her. But if you go a little bit further, if somebody looks at these words and says, What's going on over here? Why all of a sudden is it called the palm tree of crying since when somebody said Shiva for a babysitter, for a nurse? She wasn't a relative of the family. So some commentaries explain that this isn't actually alluding to somebody else died at the same time. And who was it that died? Rivka herself. Because we never find actually in the Torah we were mentioned that Rivka passed away. Now why doesn't it say clearly that Rivka died? And here's something very interesting. When Rivka died, there was nobody there that came to her funeral. Yitzchak was blind, so he couldn't go to her funeral. Yaakov was away. So he couldn't go to her funeral. The only person who came to her funeral was Esau. Who was the person that buried her? Asa was the only one that attended to her needs at the last day of her life, and then brought her to her final resting place. And therefore, some say that the reason why the Torah doesn't mention about her passing is not to talk about, A, the disgrace that Yaakov didn't come to bury his mother. He wasn't able to. The fact that Yitzchukah didn't go out to bury his wife. And the very fact that the only person that buried her was out of all people, the most evil of them all, Asaph. But take a moment and think about this. The mother who denied him from the blessings, betrayed him. seemingly, the mother who seemingly betrayed him, the mother who seemingly didn't like him, because as we learned in a few weeks ago, Rivka liked Yaakov while Yitzchak liked Asaph. Who's the one that gets to be by her funeral? That son. Now, think about this. What's going on with you? Who is the one that's following what's going on with you? Esau was already not living there for many years. And who is the one that's following what's going on with his mother? Not Yaakov, who he loved, but Esau, who is living in Edom, is following what's going on with his mom, was nearby the funeral, and takes care of her, to her last, for her final rest. So again, what's going on here? What was Rivka's intention when she took that clothing and gave it to Yaakov? Let's go even a step further. Let's say Rivka was correct that Yaakov should be the one to get the blessings. Who was the one that was blessing him?
0: Yitzchak. What did
1: Yitzchak think the child was? Esau. Does it really make a difference about the words he says to the person that's standing there? Isn't a blessing in the intent? Isn't a blessing of who he's giving it to? What was the point of putting Yaakov there if Yitzchak really wanted to bless Asaph?
0: Who are you fooling? Then what's the point of Asaph saying to his father, do you have any blessings for So let's find out, out, of out of what's me? going on here?
1: So let's find out. So if you think about it, you know, take, a ma- take for a moment and think. If I were to take, you know, what was the biggest complaint from people is not to help terrorists. You know, if somebody does something bad, they shouldn't be rewarded for something bad they do. So imagine a terrorist goes and does a terrible thing and wants to come and kill you. So what are you going to do? You're going to go and give him uh, a suitcase full of cash. What's that doing? It's a tie him to do it again. Therefore, we don't, uh, what is it called? We don't negotiate with terrorists. <laughs> Over here, we're talking about, take a story that starts off this week's Torah reading. Yaakov's coming back to the land of Israel after 34 years. He's been away 14 years. He studied in the yeshiva of Shem and Eber. 20 years, he, studied, he was working for labor. So 34 years, he wasn't home. 34 years he didn't see his brother Asaph. and he decides i'm going home i'm going to go home so instead of being happy that finally he rested he was away from Esau he didn't have to deal with Asaph, right what does he do on his way home he sends messengers to Asaph, hey Esau i'm coming home oh, God. what's he waking him up for he doesn't wasn't dealing with Esau until now Esau didn't bother him for 34 years
0: Leave him alone. Why are you going to send messengers? Did Asaph know where uh, his brother was?
1: Whether he did or he didn't, he didn't bother him.
0: What did he say? Well, if he didn't know, he wouldn't be able to bother him.
1: Well, (laughs) the bottom line is he didn't know he was coming home now either. So what's he sending messengers? The story begins, and Jacob sends
0: messengers to Asaph to see how he's doing.
1: Why are you waking up the dog from its sleep? Let him be quiet, he won't
0: bother you. But what did Asaph do that was so terrible?
1: Asaph wanted to kill him to begin with.
0: His birthright. Well, I could understand. Okay, that. but he wanted.
1: It. Okay, let's let's go a step further. Let's go a step further. He didn't take his birthright; he stole it. They've actually, the Medrash talks about it. The Medrash continues and says it gives an example. of Let's say a guy who is driving, who is going along the road, and there's a thief stealing, uh, sleeping on the road, and he wakes up the thief. he Says, "What do you wake him up for? You're going to get through safely. What do you wake him up for?" Same thing over here. God tells Yaakov, go back to the land of Israel. Everything will be alright. What does he do? He sends messengers to Esau. How do you doing, Esau? What do you mean? Let him stay where he is. He's away. He's not bothering you. Not only that. Let's take it even further. Not only does Yaakov send a messenger to Esau, and he finds out that Esau is coming to greet him with a big entourage of 400 men. Not only 400 men, but according to one commentary, 400 soldiers that have 400 men with them. That means he was not coming to send them a birthday party. <laughs> what does Yaakov do? Yaakov sends a message to Esau. Before he knew who he was coming with. He says, so tell to my brother Esau. So says your brother, your servant Jacob. I lived with Lavan and I had an ox, I had a donkey, I had sheep. And I'm sending
0: to my master
1: to find peace in his eyes.
0: Hmm, what's going on with you? Who is he referring to Is this man? Asa. Asa. And he's
1: saying him as a servant. So let's over here understand what's going on. Let's? He, let, let, look at the story. He doesn't know where his brother is. He sends a message to his brother. His brother finds out, oh, he's coming. I'm burning mad. He's furious. Was he still mad? He, if he's coming with 400 men, he, 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 look, he was, was, he I would, would assume a he's mad,
0: right?
1: He's coming. No, with. maybe he... It and wasn't he didn't coming with enough.
0: Armed himself because he was afraid of what his brother was going to do. But to he him. sent the
1: message to him to see how he's doing. He didn't see. He didn't send a message of war. He sent the message of peace, and he sent the message of peace to see how his brother's doing. And his brother says, "But not only I'm doing great, but I'm coming to get you with four hundred men, and I'm coming to get you four hundred men." So what does Yaakov do? All of a sudden, Yaakov says, "Oh boy, oh boy. I got." Yaakov starts sending peace. He starts all of a sudden looking to see how to buy him off. And he starts sending him presents. <coughs> and he's sending him presents to buy him off. Now, first of all, why didn't Jacob listen? God said, you're going to be protected.
0: He's very cunning.
1: God said, you're going to be protected. God said, you're going to be okay. And God told him to live in the land of Israel. So what does he do? First of all, he wakes up the wolf, so to speak. Once he wakes up the wolf, he says, oh, I'm in trouble now. So he starts sending him, you know, a type of bribery to buy him off. And he starts telling him, my servant, my master... And he starts telling him, sending him three types of, first he send him gifts, as, uh, different types of gifts, and seven times, seven times, Yaakov kneeled and bowed to Esav, telling him, my master, you, you're my master, I'm your servant.
0: Oh, unusual.
1: Interesting thing over here is he tried to buy him off. They used to say, there was this guy, he says, nobody can buy me off. So they said, everybody has a price. Mm-hmm. There's a story told of Reb Khaim Brisker, who was a very big Lithuanian scholar in the white Russian and what happened was that there was a, a, an episode where they wanted to close the Jewish school. So Chaim Brisker called the communal leaders and they said, listen here, the guy must buy you off the, the governor, the guy that's in charge. He says, well, this guy's a straight guy. He doesn't take any envelopes. <laughs> he says, everybody has a price. There's a way. So what happened was one of the elders of the community came up with a plan. He comes to the, it was the middle of the spring day And he comes to the minister's, whatever, the education, the guy that was supposed to close it, comes to the minister of education's home, and he's dressed with gloves and a hat and boots and a coat. Guy looks at him, you fell off your mind? What are you wearing all this uh, winter clothes for? He says, I had a dream, my mother came to me and told me it's going to be snow today. He says, yeah, out of your mind. (laughs) So the guy says, you know what, I'll make a bet with you. If it snows today... You owe me ten thousand ruble. It doesn't snow. I owe you ten thousand ruble.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. He said, "Okay, no problem." Day goes by. It's beautiful. Seventy degrees outside. There's no snow. He comes at the end of the day. He Mm -hmm. says, "Here's ten thousand ruble. I gotta pay my side of the debt." Mm -hmm. The minister asks him, "But why did you even come to me to begin with? I mean, it's very nice and honorable view." to pay up your debt that you kept to your word. But why did you come to me? He says, oh, I had something on my mind. I wanted to talk to you about about the Jewish <laughs> school. They want to close. So he says, well, if all Jews are as honorable as you that keep to your word, then the school is not closing because this is a place we have to keep honorable people. And you see, everything passed. Everybody has a price. But what we have with pretty funny. an interesting thing. So we find that Yaakov goes and kneels and bows in front of Esau. An interesting thing the Talmud says, the Medvash brings, that Yaakov bowed to Esav eight times, seven eight, times. He
0: should have done it eight times. He did it, he seven, times. He here, did it seven times. Voice. And over here, why seven
1: times? It says, you, and he called him, I served my master eight times. And he called him, and he bowed to him seven times. In fact, if you look at the end of this week's story reading, it tells us about the kings of the children of Edom, which was the descendants of Yaakov, the descendants of Esav, I'm sorry. And they were eight kings that came from him for the eight times that he called him his master. <laughs> but an interesting thing later on in history, when Mordechai, who refused to bow for Haman, Haman said to Mordechai, why do you refuse to bow for me? Your great-grandfather Jacob bowed to my great-grandfather Haman, uh, Asaph? So Mordechai said, no, 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 no. When Yaakov bowed to you, there was only 11 children at the time. I am from Benjamin. Benjamin wasn't born yet. And he didn't bow to Esau, so therefore I don't have to bow to you. That's an interesting, just a little tidbit here.
0: <laughs>
1: but what we have over here is, well, so we continue with the story. So Yaakov is traveling, and he comes to meet Esau, and he sends him a message, right? And he tells message to Esau, and he says, you want to know why I didn't greet you now for the past 34 years? You want to know where I was? What does he tell him? I was hanging out by Uncle Lovon. And then not only was I hanging out by Uncle Lovan. I was there, I was busy, I was observing all the Torah and the Mitzvahs while I was there, and I handmade this beautiful family while I was there. So if you want to know why I was there so long and why I didn't meet you until now, this is what I was doing. The question is, since when did Yaakov make up to meet with Esau? That he's apologizing for his delay. They never made up, they were going to meet. On the contrary, Yaakov was running away. Why all of a sudden he apologizing to Asaph, I'm sorry that I'm late, and I'm apologizing, my master, your servant. What kind of deal was there that we don't know about between Yaakov and Esau? In fact, if you look at it a little deeper, if you look at the words in the beginning of this week's Torah reading, and many Hasidic texts and commentators ask this question, Yaakov sends a message, it says, and Yaakov sent angels to Esau, his brother, telling him, I was with love and until now, and therefore I'm delayed. Delayed for what? Who said he was supposed to be early? Why is he giving an explanation for his delay? Guilt? Hey, Wait, who, no, kind of guilt? Guilt. who said he was guilt. ever supposed guilt. to be delayed? Who, whoever said it was supposed to be a delay? So there must be something bigger and deeper in this whole meaning of Yaakov and Asa's that we can better understand. And over here to understand this a little better, I'll give you a little example. And the example is, Imagine, you have this fellow, you know the story about the guy, the family, the parents that call up the rabbi and says, my son discovered Judaism, and ever since he discovered Judaism, that's it, he yeah. doesn't talk to anybody, he just sits yeah. in the synagogue all day, and just prays, he doesn't eat, he doesn't sleep. He went with sugar, he went to eat, to goes to the opposite extremes. You know, sometimes people, they go from one extreme, from being like this, all of a sudden to the opposite. Mm-hmm. Or you have another example. You have people that are brilliant, They're like geniuses, but they don't know how to put on their shoes. You ever find that? They have people, the mind professors, that's where it comes from. A person who's absolutely in one area, they don't have the ability to, so to speak, to narrow their other characteristics or their talents. This is the same idea when we talk about a person who had absolute, was extreme one way, and therefore they didn't have the ability to tolerate it, to be able to put it into some type of uh, some type of vessel, so to speak, to contain it. This type of individual is a person like Asaph. Asaph, if we want to call it, is the tragedy of a genius. Asaph is what we call probably the first hippie. He was an unbelievable aspiration for spirituality. He was a person who was beyond tolerating or being fixed and limited to anything. Therefore, Esau, for example, went and was able at 13 years old to kill the ruler of the world at the time, which was Nimrod. He was hunting. Nimrod had a special garment, which would be able to track the animals and then control them. And he was able to kill Nimrod with one arrow, take that garment. And what did he do when he took it? Did he make himself the ruler of the world? No. He took the garment and brought it to his mother. Gave it to his mother. The Talmud says if you want to show somebody of greatest person who respected their parents, your example is from asaph asaph was a person who was the epitome of respect to his parents, Yitzhakim. He respected them to the gra- His father says, bring me some honey." out the door, he goes and gets it. asaph was a person of the epitome of respect.
0: Did he get married
1: or did he have... He had plenty. He got married. Unfortunately, the different ways that he got married there was just a different... T- what was his problem? What was Yit- what was Esau's problem? He came... He was chaos. He did not know how to take and channel the energy, his brilliance, his excitement for spirituality to channel it into something proper, to make it useful. And therefore, whenever he got excited about something, it always ended up messing up. He got excited that his father said he should go marry somebody from within his family. He married the 13 of them. You know, he didn't do it properly. He any idolatry. He did nothing. Nothing came out right by him because he's from a world of chaos. He was all over the place. His feelings were all over the place. Hasidism explains that the root of Esav is that the way God corresponds to this world is in two ways. In a world of chaos and there's a world of water. Before the world was created in the way we have it, there was a world of chaos. But the world couldn't tolerate chaos. Chaos is very holy, very strong, it's all over the place. But the problem is it's not limited, it's not finite. If we want to be able to have a relationship with somebody, there has to be order. You can't have a relationship with chaos. And this is over here what happened. And this is the debate that Yitzchak had with Rivka. It's not that they were on not the same page. Not that Yitzchak didn't know if Rivka about Rivka's like Yaakov or Yitzchak like Esav. What does not mean Yitzchak like Esav? Yitzchak saw the potential of this child Esav. He saw that he came from greatness. He stemmed from greatness. since the potential was greatness. He realized that he's full of chaos. He has all over the place. I want to get that blessing. I want to give him the blessing so I can, so to speak, channel him to be able to make him work. So I can bring out the best of him. That's why Yitzchak wanted to give Esav the blessing. Rivka said, that's dangerous. Because the moment you add fuel to chaos, what's going to happen? It becomes more chaotic. The moment you give energy to chaos, it's going to be all over the place. There's not going to be a limit. You're not going to be able to confine it. What he needs first is Yaakov. He needs order. Once he has order, then he can have direction. Then he can take his chaos. and he can take his energy and put it in the right place. Rivka wasn't looking to take the blessings away from Esau and give it to Yaakov. She wasn't challenging what her husband gave. On the contrary, she took the blessings that were intended to Esau, channeled it through Yaakov, so therefore it should be directly given to Esau. Therefore Esau should be able to benefit from it.
0: But how and therefore
1: she dressed them in the clothing of Esau, put him in that conniving, so to speak, session, knowing that the father was going to bless Esau with those great blessings, but because it's blessed in Yaakov, Yaakov will be able to channel that energy so Esau should get it as well. How? Hey. Huh? How? Now let's go a little stir further. What is, this, what is this teaching us? What is this telling us? Over here we have a blessing. The concept is that when these blessings were given, wasn't that she was pushing it off. On the contrary, what Rivka was telling Yaakov now, I'm not giving you the blessings so you should, so to speak, get it. Yes, you're going to get it. But what you need to do now with those blessings, you have a responsibility. What's your responsibility? To give it to Asaf. To make sure that the blessings are channeled and through you given to Asaf. Give you an example. There was a great scholar, we talk about him on Yom Kippur. His name was Rabbil Azir ben Dudayev. Rabbil Azir ben was a person who tried to do every type of sin that was in the book. An extremist. He says, if there's a sin, I'm going to do it. (laughs) And he was, until all of a sudden, one time, he met a harlot, and she didn't want to be with him. And she said, nobody wants you, nobody's going to forgive you, nobody cares about you. And he looked at heaven and earth, he looked at the mountains, he looked, and nothing was for him. And he realized how far he's gone. And at that moment, he put his head between his knees, the Talmud said, and he cried and cried and cried in repentance to the extent that his soul left his body. And a voice of heaven came out. Here is a person who has acquired the world to come in one moment. In one moment, what did he do? He was an extremist. He was either an extreme sinner or an extreme penitent. Over here, he went from one extreme to the other. But what did he need? But what happens if you don't have a channel? We are to bring that extremism and to narrow it and to bring it into a world of order. It looks fine. This is now what Yaakov was telling Esav. He's telling Esav, I'm sorry for my delay. Why is he telling him, I'm sorry for my delay? <laughs> I was given a job by my mother to take care of my older brother. And what was the job that my mother gave me to give to my older brother? That that light, that, that chaotic light that you have, to channel it bring it through an energy that it should be able to work and bring down into this world. The blessings that Jacob was given by Yitzchak were there so he can rectify, uplift, and purify and bring Esau to his absolute completion.
0: But why would Asaph... Therefore,
1: listen to this. One second, you'll know, well, you get it. You'll see it all come together. Therefore, what does he start off saying? What does he tell Asaph? I lived with Lavan and that's why I'm delayed. Who cares where you were? If you're delayed, you're delayed. Because he's explaining to Esau why he's delayed. He says, because the way I am able to take those blessings and channel it to you and make it affect you was because I was by love and then I learned how to deal with tricksters. And even though I was still able to observe the commandments, so now I know that I'm able to take these blessings and i move it to you as well. Because now I purified myself. I have made myself a proper channel. To be able to absolutely give those over to you now we can also explain what the Talmud says the Midrash says that you think that this the meeting that Yaakov had with Esau was just a few minutes that's what it looks like in the Torah reading it went on for nine years that Yaakov corresponded with his brother Esau that he was sending in presence and continuously giving with him
0: this is when he was still living with when him. Yaakov
1: as he left Lovin after they meet in this week's Torah reading And he gives him all the presents and he gives him what he has and he convinces him and persuades him to give it to him. For nine years they continued the relationship. What was Yaakov doing during those nine years? He continuously was sending him presents, meaning he was sending him light, ability to be able to enjoy the blessings, to channel the energy that he was given, the responsibility that was given by his mother. What does this tell us? What's it telling us over here? That's why Yaakov, what does Yaakov call Asaph? What My does he master. call it? My master. What does Yaakov call himself? Servant. The servant. Because what's greater, the world of chaos or the world of order? The world of chaos. And therefore, himself is technically greater than Yaakov. And where was Yaakov getting his light from? In a way of order, after chaos. And therefore he says, I am here to give to you. I am here to help you energize it. To channel that energy, that blessing that I got. Why did Rifka do it? Rifkin did it because the only way that the blessing can go to Esau and have an everlasting and internal effect is if it comes through Jacob. Hmm. But now the question is still, why did Yaakov kneel seven times to him? Kneel seven times to Asaph? And here comes the amazing thing. And over here you've got to have your mathematical mind for a moment. The Rebbe's father, who's was a great kabbalist. explains it this way. He says the name of Yitzchak. Name of Yitzchak. In Hebrew, everything has a numeric value. Yep, yep. You follow? Yep. So the name of Yitzchak is a numeric value of 208. 208. What's 208? 8 times 26 is 208. What's 26 is the numeric value of God's uh-huh. name. So 8 times 26. Now take the name Yaakov. The name Yaakov is 182. What's 206, 208 minus 182, 26. That means the name Yaakov is seven times 26. The name Yitzchak is eight times 26. What are we missing? One. That means everything Yitzchak had, he gave over to his children. Seven of them is seven times the 26, he gave over to Yaakov. But there was one remainder, of the name of God that he gave to who? To Asaph. Now listen to this. It goes even better. Take asa's name. Asaph's name is seven is 350. Equals 350. The word for impure in Hebrew is tameh, It's a numeric value of 50. Asaph's name is seven times two, two of 50. Seven times tameh, Impure. But he has one the name of God. What did Yaakov mean? Yaakov understood by kneeling seven times what was he giving. He gave over those seven energies of the name of God that he had within him. Giving it into to to channel, to take away the impurity and to give it to Esau. Yaakov knew that my job is to conquer Esau. And the only way I can conquer him is when I show him and I give him that energy of the godliness. I'm not going to be able to reach that pinnacle because that will only happen when Mashiach comes. But by him bowing down to him seven times was to take away the seven impurities that shouldn't be so sunk into the evil. And therefore, if you look in the words of the Torah, what does God tell us to say in the words of this week's Torah reading? Yaakov prays to God, save me for my brother from Asaph. But what happens when he meets his brother? It doesn't say Asaph anymore. It just says, then the brothers met. He was no longer Asaph. It was brothers. He was able to remove the Asaf of the impurity. And he was able to convince him that finally, what did Asa do? He took from the presence that Yaakov wrote him. He took from that energy that Yaakov was able to share with him. This is, we're talking about Asa. He was able to remove the seven impurities that were there. And this is the way Yaakov finally was enabled after kneeling seven times, hugged and kissed and embraced. Yes, according to Rabbi Shimon bar Yochai, he believes that he kissed him with all his heart, while some others say he didn't. But still, no. They were able to meet and embrace him brother as brothers, because now he was able to remove that impurity with finally doing the job that his mother asked him of. i okay. what does this teach us? This is an unbelievable lesson for every single one of us. Many times we look at people that are far gone, <laughs> forsaken, no hope, but there's nobody ever further away from Judaism than Esau was, and still, what did Yaakov do? He said, "I'm gonna try. I got a mission. I'm gonna make me. I'm gonna kneel seven times to give him that energy. Why? Because sometimes the further somebody seems, really, the closer they are. Take for example, and you guys lived through it more than I did, in the greatest upheaval in America, in the 60s and the 70s when people were doing the craziest things, was the greatest awakening and energy for spirituality. Mm-hmm. More people became aware of their observance of Judaism in the 60s and the 70s than any other century. And it was the greatest of people of American society, the hippies, the moonies, the Christians, and all of them.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: The anti-Vietnam, the pro-Vietnam, everything. Woodstock, all the craziness happening. Mm-hmm. Even compared to today's craziness. Maybe not. I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. <laughs> it but, a there was, but it was crazy. a level, and the Rebbe looked at it then. And people say, Oh, the Rebbe said, We got to take this revolt. Because yeah. basically, what it was, it was you took the baby boomers, who they came from a generation of people before them. They were very high class, very they moved out to the suburbs, they didn't want the city. And all of a the sudden, their children did everything opposite of this. Everything opposite that what their parents wanted. It was a revolt. This but English that revolt, anti establishment, what did the Rebbe say at the time? Take this revolt and channel it in spirituality because we're searching. And because they were searching, they were able to find more spirituality in their life. The same thing is also today. When people do crazy things, and as far or left, or whatever you want to call it, far secular they may be, it's not because they want to be there. It's because every one of us has a soul, has an ace of that's searching. And all that's waiting is for the Yaakov to kneel seven times to remove that impurity and say, no, you're one of us. You're just from a world of chaos. I'm channeling the blessings that my father gave you to you. You just need a system of how to put it into and you'll see that that blessing is coming to you. And now this seamlessly answers all our questions. It wasn't a debate between Rivka and Yitzhak. It wasn't that Yaakov came late. It was that they were all working to be able to channel energy of holiness. That was an Asaph, but it had to come through Yaakov.
0: So what happened with Asaph after that?
1: Eventually Asaph went back, and that's a very good question, and this is about the end, the end of the story, so to speak. And this is the end of our story today, which is that esav went back to the land of Edom. He went back to where he came from. He wasn't fully transformed. But when's that full transformation going to happen? This is the prophet Isaiah says that the coming of Mashiach. When do we know is the full coming of Mashiach? That when Mashiach will come, esav will come back and will identify and recognize. That who the greatness of God, that even the people of Edom will point to God and say that He's One. Meaning, them will have the world because with the coming of Mashiach will be able to appreciate holiness even from a world of chaos. Right now, while we're in exile, we can only appreciate holiness from a world of order. When Mashiach will come, them will appreciate holiness from world of order as well. World of chaos as well. Will C- see will come to identify godliness, and that's the ultimate. As of now, Yaakov only started the job. We got to finish the job. As children of Yaakov, it is up to us to finish that job. And that's why, just an extra extra tidbit to that, that's why as Jewish people we are also commanded not only to encourage Jews to observe Judaism, but also to encourage non-Jews to observe the seven Noahide laws and to believe in God, because that is part of creating a world order of understanding and appreciating God. And that's what Yaakov did, that's what Esau did, And that's what Rivka's intent, and she was the mother behind all that. She was able to see beyond Yitzchak, how this all worked out, and she was the one that orchestrated it all. So it's not anymore anybody conniving, it's not anybody stealing, it was actually channeling and making things work for perpetuity. So when we look at only the story without knowing the background, as in Yiddish Jasei, a fool only looks at a half job. You gotta look at the complete picture. And when you see the complete picture, you see all the complexities in it and all the stories of it that makes it beautiful. And you see how they were working in one seamless, beautiful orchestra to bring about the So what
0: happened...